Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. I wonder if you got a copy of the Word, if you wouldn't open it up with me to Philippians uh, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to preach today just a little bit if we can, if I can get myself oriented and straight. We're doing good. Uh, on joyful living, that's the, that's the theme of our thought process as we went through this book. We'll look at just two verses today, verses 8 and 9. And what a privilege we have today to have the opportunity to live in joy. You know, that's the Lord's plan for your life. That's His intention for you, is that you live joyfully. That you get up every morning and meet the day with optimism and, and the understanding that He's going to be there with you to walk with you in it. You know what a privilege we have to have a house of joy. You know, it is good to come to church and be joyful about it. It's good to come to a place where folks love one another, support one another, pray for one another. How many of y'all are thankful that this is the kind of house where the joy of the Lord can be filled? When you come in the house, here it is, and it greets you. Man, I had one person this week tell me, I wish you could pick that church up and move it to where I live. I'd be there all the time. Should I'm never here. I don't feel the joy of the Lord. And that's a compliment to you. That's a compliment to the Holy Spirit. And you know why that is? That's why because God loves us and we've extended that love one to another and shared that love. And that brings us the fullness of the joy of the Lord. If we're going to have joy in the house, yes, that's great. But you can have joy in your heart too. That's what this book is telling us. In man alive, we can do it in and of ourselves with the strength of the Lord. There's four keys. We must have Christ. We must have Christ. We must have Christ, and we must have Christ. Those are the four keys. Christ is our source first. He must be everything that we draw from. He must be our single mind. Uh, chapter 2 taught us that Christ had the mind of a servant. And if we begin to adopt a servant attitude, if we'll become the servant of all, you'll find yourself living joyfully when you become a servant to the people and to the Lord himself. He must be our spiritual pursuit. Paul said that I might know him. When you get up in the morning and your heart's desire is to know more of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you're going to have a joyful day no matter what you encounter along the way. Chapter 4 teaches us that we must have Christ as our strength. With 4.13 being the key, it says, I can do all things. Not a few things, not many things. I can do all things through Jesus Christ, who is my strength, who's that constant infusion of power in my life. His strength comes and enables me to live joyfully. His strength comes for a purpose. The first of those purposes we looked at in chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3, he says, I have come that you might live peacefully. Man, at the house of God, we need to get along with one another. There doesn't need to be disputings and disagreements. We need to live at peace with one another another. Uh, also, he comes so that we might live prescriptively. I gave you last week three steps, I believe, clearly to a joyful life. Become a person of praise. Let the praise of God always be in your heart and on your lips. Become a person of patience. Man, do we need to, to not live to a standard? Yes. But we need to give the Holy Spirit room in the lives of those around us, and yea, room in our own lives to do the work that he's doing. If we'll get out of the way, he can do it a whole lot better than we can. Let our moderation, our grace be known. Become a person of prayer. He says you need to take everything to the Lord in prayer and you'll find that the peace of God comes and begins to guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. Today in these two verses, I want to do if I can something. I want to scan out this truth. Christ's strength comes and enables us to live what I call properly. Enables us to live properly. I did this last week because I felt like the Lord just led me to do it and I believe he would have me do it this week. So if you've got a copy of the Word, stand up to your feet. And we're going to read these two verses together. 
I, I don't know what translation you have. Hold it in your hand. It'll be great. I, I read from the King James Version. That's how I hear the word, and, and that's just my translation. That's what's up on the screen. So we'll read that together. Uh, verse 8 begins with the word finally. So let's read together. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise at all, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Praise be unto God. Give the Lord a praise for the truth of His Word being read aloud in the congregation of His people. You can be seated right where you are. The Word says, Blessed are you when you read the Word of God aloud. Man, what a thrill to hear the church read the Word together. You know, uh, everywhere you go in life today, it seems that there are, there are signs. Maybe it's been that way always. It used to be a song way back in the late 60s. Was it in the late 60s? Sign? Sign? Y'all remember anybody old enough to remember everywhere a sign? <laughs> Blocking up the scenery? <laughs> Cramping my mind? You know, do this, don't do I mean, hey, can't you read this? That old song, there were signs everywhere. Still is today, everywhere you go, especially in businesses and public places, you see signs. Some of them are, are cutting, some of them are comical, some of them are instructive, and some of them just make you think a little bit. I, I'm just going to recite a few things that I've seen. There was one time in, in Granny's Kitchen in Cherokee, North Carolina. Granny's Chicken. Man alive, you can go in there and eat all the fried chicken you want on the buffet. It's a good place to go if you're ever in Cherokee looking for some chicken. Go right down to Granny's Chicken. It's good. Right at the head of the buffet line, a sign was there, and it caught my thinking. It read this way. It read, If ignorance is bliss... Why isn't the world full of happy people? I mean, y'all hey, hey, I thought that was pretty good. Because the world is filled with a lot of ignorance, isn't it, today? I remember one young man uh, had Mike Clark had a tire shop just down the road for a while. He had a sign in there that I always loved to let my eyes set on. It read this way, God gets all the credit here. And what did it say? Everyone else pays cash. That's exactly right. Everybody else pays, man. I like that. This one sign that I want to try to use as a bridge into what I'm talking about and living properly today. I saw it in an auto shop out on Lee Sister Highway. It was my first time in it. It just opened up. And you see in the early 90s, I ran a small parts route, light bulbs, wiper blades, filters of all kinds. And things I'd just stop at the garages and restock what they needed. And man alive, I, I walked into this guy's shop the first day uh, that I was out there that he was open. And you could tell he was on his game place was clean as a pen. Everything was organized to a T. Up above his workbench in the back of the shop, he had a big sign that read this way, and it caught my eye. It read this way. If I don't have time to do it right, how will I ever find time to do it over? Man, I've never forgotten that. If I don't have time to do it right in the first place, when in the world am I going to have time to do it over? If I don't think through it right now, take the time to do it properly in the beginning. Man, when am I going to have time to do it over? And you see, I believe in our lives today, that might be the way that we live. We spend most of our time hustling to get something done and spending the rest of our time patching up the things that we should have worried about in the beginning and done them right in the first place so that we wouldn't have to worry about doing them again in this moment. 
Paul says, man, I'm going to tell you how to live properly. I believe everybody in here would say, I want to live my life that way. If you're going to live really joyfully, it's going to come when you learn to stop, take time to think through things, and do them right in the beginning so that you don't have to worry about doing them again down the road. I believe everybody in here would say, preacher, that's what I want. That's, that's, who, that's where I'm headed. I believe that's what's going to bring joy to my life. Well, then the question is, man, how do we get that done in our lives? Well, I believe in these two verses, living properly and thereby joyfully, Paul teaches us rests on two principles that he deals with in these texts, and they are these. The first one is thinking. The second one is doing. I'm going to throw a third one in there. It's no accident that in this context, he comes right out of prayer. And I believe from prayer comes right thinking. And from right thinking comes right and proper doing. And I believe that's a sequence that we'd do well to adopt into our life today. He deals with these two thoughts, thinking and doing. Now, these are distinct principles, but, beloved, they're dependent upon one another. And I believe proper living by the strength of Jesus Christ rests on how we think. And, beloved, then what we do. So let's break these two things down. First thing I want to look at is our thinking. We need to learn to think properly. The first thing I want to point out to you is the concept of thinking that are in these verses, especially in verse 8. The concept or the definition, if you will, of what it means to think. Paul says, finally, brethren, think. Finally, begin to think. Finally, begin to use your mind just a little bit spiritually. My mom used to ask me, son, does everything I say to you go in one ear and out the other? I mean, are you thinking on these things at all that I say to you? And Paul's saying, listen to all the teaching that I've given you and begin to think on it a minute. Begin to let your spiritual mind work on it. The word think in this context literally means this. Take an inventory of it. Reckon it. Fix your thoughts on it. Keep your mind on it. See, what you think Paul's talking about here is not that passing thought. How many of y'all in your life have ever had a passing thought and, man, it hits you? Gosh, I'm supposed to be a child of God. I'm supposed to be born again, and I think something like that. Well, how in the world could a thought like that even cross my mind? That's not really what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is that thing that is always and constantly on your mind. What is that thing that arrests your thinking. What is it that's there 24 hours a day, seven days a week? What is the inventory of your mind, if you will? Man alive, I, I remember my granddaddy Harris. He was not a, a patient man, my dad's dad. He was, just wasn't patient at all. Man, he couldn't even be still for two seconds. He would come up to our house, and he would come in and sit down on the couch, and five minutes later, he'd look at his watch, and he'd say, Oh, my soul, Lottie, it's getting late. We better head back to Mary, and I, we better head home. It might get dark before we get there. And the real problem was he couldn't stand to be still. I can't count the times I've been sitting in my office and saw his little blue Chevrolet Cavalier pull up in the back parking lot and park. I'd hear the door shut. I'd hear him walk down the hall. He'd stick his head in and say, Son, how are you doing? I'd say, Great, Granddad. Good to see you. He'd say, Well, I I got to get going. I'll see you later. And he'd walk back out and get in his car and head down the highway. He just was not a person who could be in any one place very long. Man, we used to try to make him go to Gatlinburg. He wouldn't go. But when grandmother said go, he'd get up and get in the car. I mean, hey, if Lottie said it, he just did it, beloved. I, I can't count the times we went down there to the Western Steer to eat, and he'd get back in his little car and turn left back up 321 and never go into Gatlinburg. He was just hoping to get out of there without having to go to Gatlinburg. 
There was one day they conned him into it, and there we were down there, and this was a lot of years ago. Gatlinburg, it wasn't then what it is now. Man, it just had a lot of little stores, and my granddaddy called them junk stores. How I many of y'all know what I'm talking I mean, it wasn't like it is today. Now, today it's dressed up, but rest assured, it's still junk. I'm here to tell you. But in those days, it was truly a junk store. When you went down in there and went and won, all they had was some sawhorses, what it looked like, and some plywood out, and as much junk as they could possibly get, and throw it on there for you to filch through. And you'd come out of one store and walk in another, and you know what you'd find? The same junk in that store that you just left over in that store. I mean, all it was was a bunch of junk down there. I was sitting with my granddad on a park bench, just a bench on the sidewalk right outside, and I could tell he was getting a little antsy. I, I said, Granddad, you okay? Can I, can I walk down the street here and get you a little Coke? He loved those little bottle Cokes. I thought I could soothe him somehow, and he looked at me. I never shall forget. He said, Son, we have been in this town for 45 minutes. What can they possibly be looking at in these junk stores for 45 minutes? He was beside himself that they could spend that much time inventorying all the junk that Gatlinburg had to offer. And you see, I wonder today if what's in our minds isn't much like what was in those stores in those days. I think most of what we think on constantly, most of what arrests our thought processes can't be called much more than junk in our minds. Paul says, man, the... The thought process, the concept that I'm after here is, man, take an inventory of your mind and begin to say, man, do, do the things that are in my mind all the time, the things that I think on all the time, are they of the junk of this world or are they of the things of God? He's saying, man, that's the concept of the thinking that I'm about here. Not that passing thought, but what is that thought that's on your mind constantly and continually? Not only the concept of thinking, I want you to see the crucial nature of thinking. It is important. If you're a note taker, you ought to write this down. It is very important what you think. It is very important what's on your mind constantly. It's very important what your thought processes are. It's very important to understand that it's not that passing thought, but it becomes that subconscious thought. What you allow into your mind will rest assured. It will take root in your life. It's crucial to understand that. Why is it important? Because what you think, beloved, will be what you do every time. The way that you think and the things that you allow into your mind and the things that become subconscious will be the things that come out of you in your life. I wrote this down. What we are, uh, we are not what we think we are. Now, beloved, that's true. We're never as good as we think we are when we're thinking we're good. And, beloved, the converse is true. We're never really as bad as we are when we're thinking, man, I've really blew it. It's true that we are not what we think we are, but it is certainly true that what we think we are. We're not what we think we are, but what we think, beloved, that's what we are. You see, you can't miss this connection, this inexorable connection between thinking and doing. Our thinking, if you will, is a prerequisite to our action every time. How we think about a thing is going to dictate what we do about it in life. I remember I, I used to 
to be camp pastor a lot to, for, for the Buncombe Association. We used to haul a bunch of kids all over this country, taking them to camp. On one occasion, we went down to Camp Hope out in Crusoe, North Carolina. Does anybody in here know where Crusoe, North Carolina is? It's out on the other side of Waynesville there, heading back into Brevard. We took a bunch of kids out there to a place called Camp Hope. And man, we, uh, we are having the time of our life, but we could see that the CITs, counselors in training, needed a little break. I, I kindly volunteered to take them out to a place that somebody had told us about, a little swimming hole in the river out there. They said, man, right around the corner, there's a swimming hole. I thought, boy, that'd be cool. Let's take them out there. We can give them a break. We can let them celebrate. We walked around this little dirt road to that uh, swimming hole, and man, there it was uh, in all of its glory out before us. And, and man alive, we uh, decided to, to dive in. I looked up. I saw a wonderful thing. I saw a rope swing caught up in a tree limb up here. Man, they'd hung it up in that tree limb up on the side of the bank. I thought, hallelujah, praise be unto God. I was the first person that scurried up that rock cliff and, and grabbed that rope swing out of the tree. And man, without any thought at all, I just swung out there 20, 25 feet above that river, let go, gave them my best dukes of hazard. Yee-haw, baby, when I hit the water, come up just having a time of my life. I never had a thought about that, beloved. That was in the early 90s. You know what would happen if I walked out that dirt road right now? I'd think a lot differently. I'd be thinking this, man, I could fall climbing up that rock. I mean, hey, hey, I might fall and break my arm or something climbing up there to get there. Well, that's awful high. I'd be high. Well, how high do you reckon that is when you swing out there? I'd be thinking, wonder how deep that water is that I'm fixing to land in. And it wouldn't be long before I'd sit on the bank and I'd tell them, hey, I love y'all and have at it, but I'm going to sit right here and just watch what you do. Why? Because I think. So much differently. And what you think about a thing will dictate how it comes out and how you act in your life. There's a biblical connection, beloved, between how you think and what you do. Proverbs tells us this, as a man thinketh in his heart. Whatever is that subconscious thought process of his life, as a man thinketh in his heart, what does it say? So is he. It's a biblical connection between how you think and what you do. It's crucial. You can't just say, well, hey, I can think however I want to think, and I can still live however I want to live. Listen, that's not true. Whatever you decide to allow to arrest your thought processes, you rest assured that's going to come out in your life somewhere, somehow, some way. You just can't even stop it. It's crucial. Thirdly, I want you to see the content. So if it's crucial, if it's important, pastor, what we think, if it's important, what we think, then what should we allow our mind to rest on? In verse 8, Paul spends a great deal of time saying, these are the things. These are the things that you need to let your mind rest on. These are the things that need to dominate your thought processes. I broke them up into three broad groups. There's a handful here, but I broke them up into three broad groups. The first of which I call the best thing. Man, we need to allow the best things to dominate our thought processes. Look with me. He says, whatever things are, what's that first word? True. Whatever things are true. The things that are false, we need to not waste time allowing them to be part of our thought processes. He says, whatever things are true. Now, I'm going to tell you something about truth. It's true whether I say it is or not. If a thing is true, it's true. It just is. It doesn't matter whether I deny it or whether I affirm it. If it's true, it's just true in and of itself. It matters not what we say about it. It matters not what we think about it. It matters not how we react to it. If a thing is true, it's just true. That's what it is. And Paul says here, man, begin to think on those things that you know are absolutely true. And don't waste time in falsehoods and speculations in your life. Go back to what's true and a Begin to allow that to dominate your thought processes. There's a little uh, study Bible I have at home. 
And uh, sometimes I, I flip it open. There's a page in the front of it that's just white. You know how in any book you have, there's that page in the front when you open it that's just white. It's a blank page. And there's a little study Bible I have at home. And on that page is written in the best little three-year-old, four-year-old handwriting that can be mustered are these three words. It is true. It's true. I was talking about that with Rachel this morning. She did that probably 14 years ago in her daddy's study Bible. Just a reminder to me that, listen, when you open that word, what you're opening is the timeless truth of the living God. And I believe if you're really looking for what's true, you can go no better place than right here. If you want to know what you need to let your mind rest on and what your thought processes need to be governed by, right here is the truth of the universe that you need to allow to soak into your mind and become that natural way of thinking so that it will become your natural way of doing. Beloved, it's true. I'm here to tell you, any social issue we face in the world today, you can find the truth about it right here in the Word of God. It doesn't matter what Congress says. It doesn't matter what the church says. It doesn't even matter what this little preacher thinks about about it. The Word of God will tell you on every hand's true, uh, turn about what is true about any given situation in life. It can be anything, anything at all. What does it have to say about lying? If you think it's okay to lie, listen, look into the Word of God. It's not. There's no situation where it's just okay to be deceitful in somebody's life. If you want to know what it says about being overly intoxicated, listen, you can justify it all you want, but if you look into the Word of God, it'll tell you what it means about being drunk. If you, t if you want to know what it means to fool around and say, hey, it's okay if you do this or do that. Listen, the Word of God will tell you what the parameters of your life ought to be. And beloved, if this says it's true, it doesn't matter what anybody else in the universe says is true. It is true. You ought to settle that in your mind and begin to think on these things. The Word says, whatever things are true, man, begin to think on those things. Those things that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt are right. He says, whatever things are honest. These are the best things. I don't want to waste time on falsehood. It's better to think about truth. How about honest? That means honorable. What is good in life? Don't think about the things that are short and fallen. Think about the things that are good in life. How about just? He said, whatever things are just. That means righteous, especially in God's sight. He said, those are the best things. And let them dominate your thought process. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not uh, going to ever happen under the power and the leadership of your flesh. These are the last things your flesh wants to think on. It don't want to think on the best things. It doesn't want to do it. It'll gravitate to the worst things every time. You know how I know this? Man, uh, just jump on Pinterest. And man, see what naturally your mind leads you to. See what you naturally end up desiring to look at. Man, check your Google search history and see what's there. Man, see what it reflects in your thought processes and see where that naturally leads you to. Cut on your television and see what programs... Your flesh naturally tries to draw you toward to watch. I'm telling you, if you allow your flesh to, to dominate this, you're going to end up thinking about old sinful, short, fallen things, the worst things in life every time. The only way you can think the best things is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to come and to renew your mind on a momentary basis. And he'll lead you to those best things. How about the beautiful things in life? He says pure. Not only the best things, but the beautiful things. He said, think on what's pure. That means hallowed, real, and eternal. He says, how about lovely things? That means literally beautiful and lovable things. How about things of, of good report? That means things that are gracious and fine, good things. And the connotation here is good things in the lives of others around you. Those are the things that you need to think about. Those are the things of good report. I heard it well said that it takes a little baby 
baby about two years to learn to talk, and it takes it about 65 or 70 years to learn to shut its mouth. How many of y'all hear what I'm saying? And man, what Paul's saying, hey, hey, think of those things that are good about other people. And man, when that negative thing about that person, when that thing you'd love to say, did you hear what happened to so-and-so down the road? Man, allow that to stop before it ever crosses your lips and becomes a part of your doing and your action. He says the best things, the beautiful things. How about the blessed things in life? He says if there be any virtue. That means if there be anything excellent and lofty, if there be any praise, that means any praiseworthy things. He says these are the things that you ought to think on. Those are the blessed things. All the things that you can praise God for, that's what you need to have in your thought processes all the time. How many of y'all have anything today in your thought process that you can say, praise you, Jesus, that you've done this in my life. Praise you, Jesus, that you've done that in my life. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good thing, worthy of honor and worthy of glory and worthy of praise. He's saying, man, think on those things in your life. The best things, the beautiful things, the blessed things, those are the things that we need to allow to become the thought processes of our life. Do you say, Pastor, are you saying that we don't need to gain knowledge? Do we need to think on nothing in the world? Do we need to get up like a bunch of monks and, and go into a monastery and there isolate ourselves from the world and its knowledge and understanding? No, not at all. Man, I'm an education guy. Let me tell you, I believe you ought to go get all the knowledge you can. I believe you ought to delve. I believe you ought to use the brain and the mental capacity that God sowed into you. And I'm not fearful of education because I'll tell you, education rooted in the leadership and fear of the Lord will do nothing but exalt His presence in your life. We sang well, and isn't it well in the Proverbs it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is the right application of that knowledge. Knowledge is not a bad thing when you learn to apply it right under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one writer wrote this, and I just loved it, and I added a few things to it. He said, yes, young man, young lady, go study history, but never forget the history of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world and in your life. Yes, go and study geography, but never forget that you have already learned the way to the river of life and to the great city of God. Go and study geology, but plant your feet on the solid rock, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and study zoology, but bow in worship before the lion of the tribe of Judah. Go and study biology, but begin to live your new life eternal from this moment on. Go and study botany, but yield your soul to the fragrant rose of Sharon and to the lily of the valley. Go and study astronomy, but miss not the glory of the bright and the morning star who is risen with healing in his beams. Go and study the law, but light your torch in the flame that burned high on Mount Sinai. Go and study medicine, but forget not the power of the great physician of this universe. Go and study business, but be fervent in your service to the Lord. Go and study philosophy, but remember that the highest level of thought lies in the renewed mind under the leadership of the Holy Ghost of the living God. Man, he says this. Let your mind think on these things. It's crucial because what you think will determine what you do every time. Our thinking needs to be right. In verse 8, he says, if you're going to live properly, learn to think properly. In verse 9, he says, if you want to live properly and joyfully in life, begin to do properly. I wrote this down. Now, there comes a time for doing. The Christian life is not all contemplation and prayer. There comes a time for doing. There's going to come a moment when the Holy Spirit says to you, all right, 
It's time to get up on your feet and go do what I've told you to do. There comes a time for action. I think about Moses standing at the edge of the Red Sea. Man, he said, hey, here we are in disarray. Mountains on each side. See in front, enemy pressing down. Lord, have you just brought us out here to let us die right here in this moment? Father, what are we going to do? And he's in disarray contemplating and thinking. And what does the Lord say? Son, now is not the time to think. What's in your hand? All you got to do is stretch it out and I will take care of the rest. He said, quit thinking and start doing in your life. And beloved, there comes a time time in your life to take all that the Holy Spirit has sown into you and begin to act on it. Two quick thoughts in closing about this idea of doing. First of all, I want you to see the precept of doing. Do in this context literally means to perform repeatedly or habitually or to practice. The same as thinking, doing is not a single act. The same as your thinking in your life, your doing is not a single act. When you want to know what you're doing, look at what you do all the time in your life. If you want to say, okay, what am I doing for the Lord? Well, look at how you're living from day to day. Look at what actions dominate your life. Look at where you go. Look at what you spend your time on. And look at what comes out of you. And that is your doing that Paul's talking about. He said, begin to think, yes, not on that passing thought, but what dominates your thought. And look at what you do because what dominates your thought is what's going to dominate your doing. It's not going to be any single act, but it's going to be the overall theme of your action in your life. The church cannot afford to have a been there and done that attitude. I hear that all the time. Well, uh, do do you give? Says I gave to the Lord on one occasion way back. Yeah, I did give Him something. Man, have you been to church? Yeah, I went one time way long ago. Hey, do you worship? Yeah, man, I was in a dynamic worship service about fifteen years ago. Man, I really did. I yeah, I've worshipped. I've worshipped. Man, do you pray? Well, I did on one occasion, yeah. I remember one time I prayed, and and it turned out okay. That's not what we're talking about. He's saying, man, the doing of your life needs to be what you do every minute of every hour of every day. And when the thinking of your life gets right, the doing of your life gets right. I want you to, to, to consider this before we move on. You should learn never to judge a man in a momentary action. Never judge a lady in a momentary action. Look at what the overall theme of their life and action is. And that's what they really are. And who they really are. Everybody's going to mess up. Everybody's going to make mistakes. And everybody's going to fall short. But beloved, with all my heart, I want the theme of everything I do to bring glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says you want to live properly, begin to do properly. Understand its precept, but also understand its pattern. He talks a bit about an inspired doing here. He said those things do, but he said in the middle of that, those things which you have both learned and received. Now, it's one thing to learn a thing. It's another thing to receive that thing into your life. And he says, I'm talking about those things that you've received again and those things that you have heard and you have seen. And what are those two little words in the middle of verse 9? In me, do them. He's saying, I've given you a pattern. If you want to know what it looks like in life, look at me. Now, when something's repeated in the Word of God, you need to pay attention to it. And this is the second time in just a handful of verses. At the end of chapter 3, he told them the same thing. If you want to know what to do, look at me and do it. And right here in the end of chapter 4, he's saying, if you want to know what to do, look at me in my life, and I have modeled it for you. I have sown it into you, and let that be the governing guide of what you do in life. Most of the weddings I do now are for people a whole lot younger than me. I find the age gap is growing with every wedding I do. 
I, I learned to tie a tie a long time ago. There was a time in my life I didn't know how to tie one. I got a job at, at Revco in those days. I don't know if y'all are old enough to remember Revco. It turned into CVS while I was working there. But they required you to have a tie. So I had to learn how to tie a tie. Well, I didn't know how to do it, and we didn't have Google in those days. We didn't have YouTube to show you how to tie a tie. I had to go to my daddy. I said, Dad, I'm going to have to learn how to tie a tie finally in my life. I guess I was 18 years old, and he said, Son, I can tell you how to do it, and I can do it on me. But he said, The best thing I can do is have you come and stand here. And he got right behind me. I never will forget it. He got behind me. And I can still feel his hand on mine. As he just began to over and over, loosen it, undo it, put it in my hands, and begin to tie it. And he would cinch it all the way up just like this. He'd say, now that's how you do it. Let's do it again. And man, he would undo it and do it again. I, I was asked at the wedding I did not too long ago, Pastor, can you show up an hour and a half early? None of the groomsmen know how to tie a tie. And it'd be wonderful if you just showed up and tied some ties for him. I thought about my daddy modeling for me. I'm going to tell you, I think some of the gravest errors in the church that are occurring today is that we, we relegate our Christian experience to ourselves. And we say, man, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to pursue the Lord, and I'm just going to leave everybody out, outside of it, and I'm going to be isolatedly pursue the Lord. Listen, no, that's why he put us together here, so that we can model one to another the things of the living God. I tell you, a grave error that we make is leaving young Christians behind just to fend for themselves in this world and thinking they'll just get it the best way they can. Listen, we need to learn to take responsibility for those who come into the kingdom of God and learn to model things like prayer and righteousness and holy living before them over and over again until they get it in their life and one day grow up and begin to model it for other new Christians. I believe we're making a grave error in the church today in not doing that. I'll tell you another grave error we're making. We're taking the generation that's ahead of us and we're ushering them out to pasture in the contemporary church today. I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a minute. We're taking everybody that we call a senior adult and we're saying to them, you don't understand the context of today's society. You don't understand technology and we don't need you to minister to this world today. The best thing you can do is be quiet and keep giving you money and leave us alone. Listen, we're making a grave error by doing that and you're looking at one little preacher boy that understands we need the generation that's ahead of us. Listen, they have knowledge and understanding of things that we don't even know we need understanding of yet in our lives today. You see what Paul's saying is you need some people before you. And man, pick a good model for your life and allow them to show you how to do things in life as a Christian woman or man properly and pleasing unto the Lord. He says, man, this is the crux of my teaching. I love that word finally in verse 8. He says, this is the crux of my teaching. Everything that I've taught you before, I'm summing it up right here in these two verses. Finally. These are the things that I want you to remember. Finally, these are the things. He says, begin to think. Begin to process mentally everything that I've relayed to you. Those things that you have learned and received into your life. Those things that you have heard from my mouth and seen in my life. Those things, think on them. And then you'll begin to do them in your life. And, my, and they'll come out in your daily living. He says, this is the crux of my teaching. You want to live life properly? You want to live life with joy? Watch your thinking. Watch what you do. And understand that undeniable link that exists between them. That as a man 
thinketh in his heart. So is he. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. He could have stopped at the end of verse 9 with this book and been great. I love that last phrase. He says, if you do these things, you begin to let the Holy Spirit renew your mind. Didn't Paul in Romans challenge us, be not conformed to this world? What did he say? But be you transformed. How are you going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. And when you do that, you'll begin to live out. That's what he says. You'll begin to prove, live out that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in your life. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, that only takes place when the strength of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit daily and momently renews your thought. You know where the enemy works in your life? He works in the arena of the mind. And he begins to implant thoughts in there that you'll adopt into your life as true. And man, the minute you do that, you begin to live those things that the enemy has put into your life. Let me tell you, the enemy's leadership will never bring you anything but devastation, depression, brokenness, downtroddenness into your life. It's the thought processes of the kingdom that we need today. It'll bring us joy and peace. I love what he says when you do this. The God of peace shall be with you. He's saying in all you're doing, there's going to be the God of peace alongside you. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.